Hey, if you like free stuff, you're going to like Tim's Rewards by Tim Hortons. You can earn free food or drinks after every seven purchases. Cool. How do I win? Um, it's not a contest. You just use your Tim's Rewards card. And after seven purchases, you score a free coffee, tea, or baked good. Whoa. So I've got a pretty good chance of winning. Well, actually, you've got a 100% chance of winning. Those are great odds. <laughs> They sure are. Free coffee and more with Tim's Rewards. It's Tim Hortons' way of saying thanks. Valid only at participating restaurants. Please visit restaurant or timhortons.com slash rewards for full program details. Grand Canyon University is Arizona's premier private Christian university committed to providing next-generation education. GCU offers over 200 academic programs, many in high-demand fields across nine colleges. We keep our rigorous curriculum relevant by partnering with industry leaders and advisory boards. Earn your degree online, in the evening, or on our vibrant Phoenix campus. Find your purpose at GCU, where advanced technologies drive education. Private, Christian, affordable, nonprofit. Visit gcu.edu. For listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. On this week's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Pod, we discuss our hot takes in U.S. soccer. As we take a break from MLS with the international break, the U.S. national team is a friendly against Portugal. We look at the roster and our thoughts on the youth movement. Finally, we replay our interview with the USSF Academy Director Jared Mikulis over the direction of the system. All this on this week's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Pod. Yes, Switzerland is in the World Cup. I know everybody's super excited. No one cares. Woohoo! Going to Russia. No one cares. I know all the listeners to Uncle Sam's Soccer Pod. Follow us on Twitter and subscribe. I know you guys are all super excited. No one cares. Just enjoy the national anthem, Armand. Just enjoy it. Can we turn this off? Ah, what a day. Switzerland going through. And it made look, me made me realize how look, did America not qualify? Luck. It wasn't luck. Twenty seven points from ten games. Just saying. Suspect penalty. So, well, just it's saying, not my just problem. Saying, just, just saying. Northern Ireland didn't create many chances. Should have been like a lot more. Just saying. Just anyway. I'm Steven Jodderin, Armand Kafai. Welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. Brief moment of Switzerland. I don't know. I need a mascot for Switzerland. Alporn Soccer Podcast. Brief minute there. Anyway, Armand, FIFA window is upon us. No MLS, no playoffs. U.S. men's national team taking on Portugal in a couple days' time. Super excited. But let's begin with opening hot takes. We'll start with you. 
All right, so I have a couple, but I mean, I guess we'll alternate. I feel like that is you have the a right couple. way to go about it. You have a, a couple, couple, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. So let's start off with what has been the talk recently, which is the USSF presidency. Uh, people, people are starting to run for it. We saw Martino enter last week. We've had Ronaldo. Yes, yes. We have all these guys enter in. I feel like. And not that it matters, in my opinion, because remember, these people don't get votes. But I feel like people are getting too hung up on the promotion relegation aspect of it, which will not have an impact on the United States, I think, for another five to ten years. Um, yeah, no, I completely agree. I would even push that to probably ten to fifteen years. It it in my in my eyes, we're look, we're looking at this debate. I think the debate should be more of. Who's going to fix a youth problem? Then, who's going to implement promotion relegation? Do we? And people, I'm sorry to interrupt, but do we really have that big of youth problem? I get it, we're missing players, but I mean the academies of just two clubs, Red Bulls and FC Dallas, they've produced players. It's not like we're not producing players. A lot of them are in Europe. I mean, look at all the play. How many players were brought up here in MLS that play in Europe now? At least have some sort of link. Or to the I, academy. I have no idea off the top of my head. Or to at least the academy. Because remember, the academy, you have U.S. Soccer Academy is a whole complex system. And MLS is just one entity of that. There's there's multiple there's multiple issues, though. And I think the number one issue is um, – well, not the number one issue, but a key issue is the way college soccer is played. I oh, think yes, that is yes, – I, sure. I think that's one issue. Um if we if we use college soccer for more of a, a different way, if we played it more realistically and more like a developmental league than a however it is being played right now, which I, I guess we'd call it a joke. Um, it, I think college it, 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 it'd probably fix it probably be a little bit a little bit better than what it actually is right now. Um, I think that's another issue that I think U.S. soccer needs to tackle. Or is that? I mean, we obviously have pay to play. We obviously have players that fall underneath the cracks. I mean, I was discussing this with a friend yesterday. Players from El Paso, Brownsville, those areas, do they have a realistic shot at, you know, making a uh, – are those the players that fall through the cracks is my question. I mean, the pay to play, you just mentioned it. Dan Hunt, owner of FC Dallas, you know, one of the major league soccer clubs, one of the – the academy system clubs, the I quote doesn't really see a problem with it. I mean, not word for word, but it, it kind of you know, kind of said that on one of the FC Dallas's uh, broadcasts. I mean, I feel like so, I he had, what in what he was saying, it was kind of a point. If you identify a talent uh, for academy systems in MLS, is an issue. But the thing is, do most of the uh, does most of the talent get identified? And the answer is no. But, but, you know, I still think it comes down to kids aren't playing soccer or not pursuing it like they want to pursue basketball, football, or baseball, or in, in some because cases, hockey, because there's no money. There's no money in in promotion and relegation. People are like, oh, it's going to open up all types of things. No, it's not. I mean, you're going to kill some markets because they're going to go under, they're going to get relegated, and that's the end of them. They're just not going to rebound. I promise you that's going to happen. It happens in, the, in in Germany. It happens in England. Some clubs go under, and then, yeah, they might reemerge. And sometimes you have the story of Leicester City or Nice or, uh, I don't know, you can name uh, RB Leipzig. But you, you can sp- 
you think about it. I mean, the, the promotion relegation for for U.S. soccer presidents to really talk about that is such a waste of time. It is a giant waste of time, and you have Ronaldo, you know, spouting, "Yeah, I want to go promotion relegation. Yeah, it's the European thing. Yeah, 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 it's yeah." Like build yeah. the wall. Yeah, it, it's exactly the same. And uh, what I told you, he's he's kind of like a Donald Trump persona when it comes to he'll just say these things. So and, uh, he has a plan apparently. It's Kyle Martino, um, the Ohio governor, was John, John Kasich. Kasich, and then I guess Bernie Sanders is oh, who Galati. No, I bet I feel like Galati would be um, more of the Hillary Clinton. But yeah, okay, yeah, that's, yeah, a, that's yeah, a weird yeah, yeah, comparison. Yeah, I like to make. that. I like that. Hillary Clinton. Who's the uh, Bernie I Sanders? I, I'm not sure. Um, it really is a Bernie Sanders in this. Who's I think the oldest a lot... guy? <laughs> Who's the oldest one with white hair? I'm not even sure, honestly. Off top of my head, maybe. Um, but go, going back to the point, I, in in this day and age, promotional relegation is, is is a little bit more far than I think a lot of people think. I think. After the U.S. collapsed, everyone jumped on this promotional relegation. I mean, it was a cult following on Twitter. Um, oh, and um, <laughs> I want to tease something to the listeners. Uh, we will have one of those big promotional relegation guys on the show in the coming, coming weeks. And we're actually going to have a civil conversation. It's not going to be he said, no she said. No game calling. No, you know, no. It's going to be no, natural. Because oh, Armand, just... yeah, Armand and I are all for promotion and relegation, but we're – we're realistic. We're pra- pragmatic about it. It's it's the way MLS built itself is to avoid it at all costs. Because what happened in the seventies with North American Soccer League, Armand? Please enlighten me. What happened Collapse. to that league? Why? It it it, it collapsed uh, basically. And this is obviously me paraphrasing. Uh, Cosmos were spending a lot, and the rest of the team, the rest of the leagues, outside of a couple others, couldn't really attract interest, and the league just folded. Exactly. That's why MLS is uh, built the way it is, and that's yeah. why that's what they, they're trying. They're trying to protect their assets and not have repeat what happened. The exactly. thing was, the thing is, a promotion relegation. You see the upsides, you see the downsides. You could think it's feasible. You could think it's not. Me, Stephen. I remember, and we might do this again. I mean, when we had a discussion with uh, uh, the promotional relegation guy, we might do this again. When we sat down in the classroom and mm-hmm. talked about promotional relegation uh, scenarios and how to set up leagues for about an hour, and we realized this is when we're just too – we don't know the ins and outs of everything. No. And we're completely struggling. I mean, we're st- we were just trying to do the math of it. We are just trying to divide the leagues up and how you would do it, but – MLS wants to grow to four, 28 teams. I mean, how are you going to have promotion relegation in the system like that? How are you going to divide the schedule up? You have so many other issues. And then the, the issue with American soccer right now is the youth. Who cares about MLS? U.S. soccer and MLS have, yeah, they have an agreement. But U.S. soccer should be really worried about the men's national team because what did they just fail to do? Qualify for the World Cup. Okay, it's a disaster that did not qualify, and that is why the the argument of promotion relegation for the U.S. president's uh, candidates to be talking about is a huge waste of time because it's such a complex issue. If if we had qualified for the World Cup, then fine, we could have this conversation. But I think, no, yeah, you're, no, no, you're right, and I think it also a a fear that a lot of people are. Slowly, not realizing is 
whenever you mention, oh yeah, they didn't make the World Cup, everyone's like, what well, with the women's team? They they won the World Cup. They yeah, and credit to them, they did. Credit. But if you if you've been watching the women's soccer team recently, they've been falling off. They the rest of the world is catching up with the U.S. women's national team. You saw what happened in the Olympics. Um, you're you're not seeing the same. I guess you're seeing domination against certain teams, but not against other other certain teams and you, these are teams that USA used to dominate so the women's side is also a side and, that needs to be looked at yeah, as well. Yeah, and the women's side, I, I think, has an issue right now with attracting fans. I mean, they were playing in football stadium had 8,000 people show up. Yeah, I think it was uh, this one was, in New Orleans, right? This was a couple weeks ago, yeah. I remember yep. it was, nobody showed up and it's and it's like, why? And how? And, and, and remember, one of the highest, I think, may, I still might be, the highest all-time rated U.S. soccer game in America is the Japan-USA World Cup Finals. That goal fest in the first, like, 10... I missed the first two goals. I remember I was going to get some food. I missed the first two goals. <laughs> you pulled a me from last week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. seriously, I mean, so... Yeah, it's... It, the promotion relegation is a huge waste of time. And, uh... Okay, so my turn now. Yeah, your turn. Moving on here. <laughs> um, I want to talk about Detroit... Detroit's MLS bid. Ew. Which got really fascinating... After the Ford family is planning to wait behind Detroit's bid to land a major league soccer franchise. Now I'm reading from the Detroit Free Press, uh, Venice Ellis. And they go on and they highlight how suddenly Detroit no longer wants to build a stadium. And they just want to play out of and basically share it with the Detroit Lions. Field. No, no, for the love of God, I am. If MLS was making the next step, I think they need to stop ground sharing with NFL sides. Yeah, and speaking of ground sharing, let me see, let me ask you how how has it worked out? New England Revolution, New England Patriots shared Gillette Stadium. How's that work out for them? It's embarrassing for New England whenever the the Pats play and the field is covered. It looks like it doesn't look like a professional league. They play on when you turf. See, yep. and you, you, see, even, you see the logos and all yep. that stuff? Like, What's more embarrassing is when the New England Patriots have two private jets that lo- go around the go around the country, and then you got Kai Kamara and the New England Revs who have to go to Logan Airport, hang out, fly commercial, and be That's an MLS thing. That's not a New England Revolution thing. That's 100% MLS thing. They only have four charter uh, flights. They want to promote parity in the blah, in every way possible. Blah, so blah. that's an MLS thing, not really yeah, a craft thing. But I see what you're saying. I see exactly what you're saying. The investment in the private jets yes. compared to but the revolution in a stadium. Just you, that money could be built. Just build a freaking soccer stadium in New England around Boston, and it's going to be one of the premier leagues in MLS. I promise you that. How many international friendlies are played at Gillette Stadium? Quite a bit. They always have one of the champions. Uh, Inter, uh, the ICC always plays there. Yep. Uh, the the new uh, the the men's national team plays up there. So it, it's they have a good investment into the sport. Now Kraft just needs to put some money up for a stadium. Now there's been some struggles, but the sharing the sharing of Gillette Stadium doesn't work. NYCFC Yankees that's on grass that doesn't work. We already know that. Okay. We already seen it. Yep. The Atlanta Falcons and Atlanta United, brand new Mercedes-Benz uh, Dome, turf field. I don't – this is a hard one. 
I think it works. And let me tell you why I think it works. I think the stadium was built, and this is something that a lot of people talk about, with the soccer team in mind. I think that's important because all these other stadiums were built with for only one tenant, I feel yeah, like. Sure. Uh, CenturyLink, uh, all these other teams, I feel like they're made just for one one tenant. But you have Atlanta, you have your own locker room. The turf isn't bad. The field's pretty nice. The capacity is perfect. I mean, it, it, it makes sense, I think, for Atlanta in at least because they were they were it was built for them in mind. Yeah, and which is it's really hard to argue when you're Ford and you want to put the money down, or you're Detroit and you got the you know Ford and all these exactly. investors. And that's the thing. How are that's you? The thing. No, it, it's it's a weird balance. Yeah, so I, how are you gonna? How is MLS gonna say? Look, we're not we don't we don't want you in here because you're playing a football stadium. Yeah. All the trust do is be like, if we do the same thing as Atlanta, would you complain? Yeah, well, I know Seattle Sounders, Seattle Seahawks, CenturyLink. That's on turf. That I, I has it worked? I don't know. You, you Seattle had to play their playoff game Thursday night. So I think it's worked to a degree. Yeah, but to a degree. It works. Well, the thing is, it's it's one. It's only it only works if the clean team is successful, right? Because it sells right, out. Yeah, you get money. But if the team like the Revs, who by the way will have thirty two thousand show up. In a playoff game, like they will, they I don't think Gillette opens everything up, but they will they fill that lower bowl up quite well. Like the the Revs in Boston's a real sports town, so they will get people to go out when the Revs, for example, thirty thirty two some thousand showed up against the Red Bulls in two thousand and I think fifteen when uh no fourteen twenty fourteen for the conference uh, final Eastern Conference final Red Bulls New England Rev Revolution thirty two thousand showed up. So if you're successful, yeah, I think, I guess it, was, I think it was twenty fifth. Yeah, twenty four. I think it was, was fourteen. It, you were at twenty fourteen. Yeah, 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 yeah. My bad, my bad. <laughs> I know my reps. But um, but you're you're right. No, you're spot on. If it's if it's successful, when it's a team on the field. If not, it looks bad. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on Portland because they don't really even ground share, but they kind of do, but they kind of don't. But oh, that's yeah. the reason why they don't have grass. Okay, that, that's my biggest issue. It's not. It's on turf. If it, if Portland Providence Park wants to actually expand another four thousand, expand or get rid of that stupid and ugly turf and put some grass down. Explain, Armand. Explain why, or one of the real reasons why they have turf and not grass. Because uh, they share with Portland State, the football team and, that went zero and ten this year, and they and as according to a tweet I read, they attract around they. Throughout the whole season, overall they had overall they had twenty thousand. Uh, overall, overall, like the, the the sum, like not like average, like the sum. twenty thousand in five games, so about four thousand per game. Stupid. So this is dumb. And yeah, it's just it's it's it, it, it's it's interesting. But to your point, you don't think Detroit should be in consideration anymore? Nope, I would tell Detroit you build a stadium. I mean, they, this stadium project would basically go into the development where an old jail sits. They would renovate the area. They get a gorgeous twenty-three thousand seat uh, stadium, which I would think. And economically, it make it makes sense for a city to be to be like, okay, this is a jail. It's not really giving us much revenue. It's costing us more to run the jail. Let's get a stadium going. Get the urban development around there, and you know. 
get some a little bit of boost to the economy in, in Detroit, which has been struggling recently, to be honest with you. Yeah, and Ford Field is home with the Detroit Lions. It's not meant for soccer. Uh, for soccer, it's just not. And if they're gonna play on turf, then what type of issues are you gonna run into? It just the the only way that I would MLS if if MLS is like fine, you have to have you have to have grass. That's the only caveat. And that this. won't happen. And it, that's not gonna happen. They put a dome. Yeah, and ex- expensive, happen. but it's. It's not that hard to maintain grass. It really isn't. Go ask the the English clubs how hard it is. They can feed you some. They could send you some good grass seeds, and you could figure it out. Science <laughs> takes care of that quite well. <laughs> oh, it's, it's just annoying. But yeah, MLS should not consider Detroit, not whatsoever. Just don't. You want to play at Ford Stadium? Okay. Well, uh, let's look at Phoenix. Hey, Phoenix, how you doing? Or Charlotte, or Nashville. Which, well, Nashville is going to be a team. So Nashville is going to be a team. Yes. Um, speaking of other latest news, Brad Friedel was hired by the New England Revolution. Armand, we're going to spend a quick thirty seconds here. Do you like the bad, hire? Bad hire. Why? It not not ambitious guy. Very very little experience. I feel like he was just he was just hired because he has a weird British Boston accent or whatever the hell that is. <laughs> <laughs> a weird British Boston accent. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, we'll see. We'll see. I, I have no comment on it. I mean, he's never oh, coached. Wow. wow. Way to abstain. Sounds like a real politician right there. No, oh, politician. Yeah, well, we'll see what uh, Donald... Can I, can I get to my uh, other hot take real point? All right, real hurry quick? up. Okay, fine. Running out of time here. Opening segment. Follow us on Twitter, UncSamSoccerPod listeners. Let us know what I you think. think- I think the the people the logic that people use for the save the crew movement uh, to why Columbus has struggling numbers is it's almost used against other teams in the same way. If that makes any sense, um, many people are saying you know Columbus has bad marketing, this that, but they'd be so much better. And then they point Dallas and say, look at them, they get no attendance, they should be moved. Which, which by the way. Uh, if you want to know if Dallas will be moved, you know MLS would force MLS would force Dan Hunt to sell a team before they'd move out of the Dallas market. But do you understand what I'm saying when I, when I say that, Stephen? Like when that logic is being used against other teams, but for other teams, it doesn't it doesn't make sense. And I feel like this thing has only made enemies out of teams in the league. Good, I like it. I like rivalries. I like it. <sighs> God. That's what you need in this league. A little more hate. You need a little more hate among clubs. It's too... Yeah, but for business decisions? Well, I mean, look at the NFL right now. Who hates who in the NFL? Uh, Jerry Jones versus Goodell versus some other owners. Kraft. But, I mean, but, I mean that's not on the field. Yeah, well, on the, all... on the field, it's great. <laughs> Everyone's God, getting I mean, CT. I want... <laughs> no, but if you have more hate on the field, the product of the game would be better. Just well, so. yeah, obviously. I mean, you you seen the the rivalries. I mean, you see LAFC coming in with the Galaxy. I mean, we're gonna see yeah, what's gonna happen. Gal- Galaxy seems soft anyway. But we're gonna see what's gonna happen. Well, yeah, we'll see. And then if Austin, uh, Austin Villa, if they get a team, um, that'd be great. At Dallas, Houston, Lone Star, uh, Lone Star Cup. rivalry, Lone Star Cup, however you want to put it, Castadia Cup. What do you think of Cali? Is it gonna be Cali Ca- Classico still, or what are they gonna call it? The L.A. Derby, 
fight for LA, something really dumb, I feel like. LA but, Derby, just keep it classy. Keep it classy, MLS. That's your goal. All right, we'll be back with some U.S. men's national team talk. Yeah. Well, we're gonna see a glimpse of the future, Stephen. We're gonna we're gonna see it on Tuesday. Are we? Uh, the national team. Switzerland's lifting the World Cup. Is that the the future I'm seeing? Dude, if, if all I'm gonna hear is the Switzerland like <laughs> just praise, I'm gonna have to cancel the pod. But um, uh, we're gonna <laughs> you... see a glimpse of the future. We're gonna see the national team play against Portugal, uh, in Lisbon. Minus Ronaldo. Uh, let's let's be clear. minus Ronaldo. Who yeah, just had a daughter. Congratulations. Congratulations, Cristiano. Hopefully, get you in the pod one day. Yes, we will. Um, uh, you can come on the show anytime. Anytime. We'll make time for you. Yeah, absolutely. But um. You had an interesting take uh, while we were talking about this privately. Saying <laughs> this game doesn't matter. This game is useless. It's pointless. What good does it do? These players are going back to their club. Some of them are going to vacation. Nothing means nothing. This game is meaningless. Absolutely meaningless for these players. You're, the only good thing comes is you're, you're, some of these players who have the dual citizenship, they become uh, cap-tied. To the U.S., that's good for them. You get the experience, blah, blah, blah. But other than that, you're not going to see a future out of this team. You won't. You're not going to see how they mesh well. You're not going to see anything. You just won't because we're still four and a half years out the next World Cup. Who knows who is coming behind them? Think about Christian Pulisic and how much he's changed in a span of 14 to 15 months. A lot. A lot. So... I, I'm not telling you. Who knows? Could, one of these kids could be the next Christian Pulisic. And crazy thing is Christian Pulisic is only 19. So the, the fact that we're you know saying the next Christian Pulisic shows you how good Christian Pulisic is. But what are we going to get out of this game? If they score 12 goals past Portugal, what's that mean? What if they get killed by Portugal? What's that mean? Honestly, I'm just excited to see some of these players uh, actually get a chance to play for a national team. Um, I can tell you a list of players I'm not excited to see, but some I am excited to see. Um, we're gonna go position by position. Uh, I'm gonna say a player, and or I'm gonna go through the players, and I want you to tell me who you're gonna be excited to see. Not that the game is meaningless, but you want to see some players, right? So like, yeah, no, sure. You want to see it's exciting? Okay. So goalkeepers: Jesse Gonzalez, FC Dallas; Bill Hamid. I, I can't say that team, but that team in Denmark, and Ethan Horfath from uh, Club Bruch. Who Horthath. are you excited to see? I see. I've seen Jesse Gonzalez play quite a bit. So, eh. uh, Hamid, eh, or half definitely exciting to see him play. I think he's the future. Ex- I think it's going to be exciting on the flip side to see Bill Hamid play with his newly pinned move to Denmark. How is he going to perform? He's got a little bit more motivation. He's probably the starting knot. I feel like so. Well, who knows? I mean, it's not I, like you're going to be able to sub out the goalkeeper halfway through the game. So, <laughs> I mean, if I don't get to see my player, I'm disappointed. So defender-wise, we're looking at John Brooks, uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Eric Lehigh, Matt Miazga, Tim Ream, Jorge Villafania, and DeAndre Yedlin. I know. I have a feeling I know who you're going to be excited about. Um, I want the right. young. I want the youngest players out there. Literally, I would just do this by age. Who's the youngest here? All right, you get the starting nod. That's how I do it. This game. Just That's to, impressive. 
That's what I would do. Now, Miazga and uh, either with Brooks to see if you can, you know, have this f- immediate future with those two, or you throw in um, Carter Rickers. But he, I, I just don't know how they're going to mesh. I mean, th- this is very, very new waters for these guys. Miazga with some more experience with the national team. Yedlin, obviously. Um, I'm just I'm just, hard time with the left back position, Armand. I just don't know. You've you know you had the ageless, uh, the Marcus Beasley always on that side. So who's gonna you know are we gonna see Beasley in four and a half years too? Because we're not gonna develop a player out there on the left side. I mean I can't believe we haven't been able to do that in the last four years. No, I agree. And looking at this look at this roster right now, I mean I feel like it's much more situated for a three back line than anything. I mean I feel like so we're gonna see. Whole- sorry to interrupt, but. How? Here's another issue I have. You have a head coach who has no idea if he's going to stay on or not. You might have a brand new guy. You might say, hell, you might have Sam Allardyce come in and he wants to play five at the back. Completely change everything. Or you get Oscar Pereira who maybe wants to play three at the back. None of these players have no idea what their roles are in this men's national team. They don't. Nobody has like, okay, besides for Christian Pulisic, Number 10, that's his role. Besides that, nobody knows if they're going to be on this squad in six months, in two years' time. That is an issue. I can't believe we don't have a head coach. The head coach is meaningless too. This is a you, meaningless game. To counter your head coach argument, wouldn't you think it'd be smarter to wait until after World yes. Cup to see who has yeah. contracts and who doesn't? Well, although, okay, World although, Cup? The World Cup? I thought you were going to say U.S. presidency. No, I'm saying well, after your presidency, they're hired. After a World Cup, a lot of these, a lot of these uh, nations don't retain their coaches. There could be a quality manager like who, out there me, internationally. Give Just give me some names. I don't know. Man, I don't know many off the top of my head. Well, that's the point. They're kind of dude. I'm, well, internationally, well, do coaches really have an effect? Yes. You think so? Look at Iran. That's like I'll give. That's a prime example for me. They're a well-organized, well-trained team that they used to play like they were Brazil and like just open, <laughs> free-flowing, and we get destroyed. Uh, Carlos Quiroz came in and said, "No, we're playing organized, defensive football. We're gonna we're gonna absorb pressure, hit them on the counter, but we're gonna focus on defense. We're gonna Good. drill you tactically, yes. and yep. that's yep. what yep. that it does yep. make a difference. I think it does make a difference. I would." I wouldn't be surprised if U.S. contacted Juan Carlos Osorio, even though people do not want him, the Mexican manager. He has success with Mexico. That team was really well, doing really well in qualifying. So I do think managers do have an impact. I want um, I want a guy with emotion, man. I want somebody on that sideline who's going to scream and shout to, I don't know, just breathe a little bit on, these, on the players' necks, get them a little bit nervous. I mean, for example, using my Swiss team, there's always a young guy. Switzerland's developing quite a bit of talent. Zachariah, 20 years old, he, he's, he's got that Paul Pogba-shaped midfielder-type situation to him with Bruce and Mohan Glockba, by the way, produced in Switzerland. Um, you, you have, with this men's national team, especially the last four years, who was that guy to put pressure on these players? None. You have a coach, Bruce Arena. Jurgen. Besides, yeah, Jurgen was that, but Bruce Arena. Jurgen was that guy. Jurgen did put the pressure on the players. Bruce Arena, nah, they, there was you know beer time with Bruce Arena, man. Everybody was beer was, time with Bruce Arena. Th- that's what they were doing. I mean, the, he was he wasn't even a head coach. I bet I guarantee you, Bruce Arena sat there and were like, all right, boys, here's the lineup. You know what to do. Good job. Pat in the ass. Move on. 
You know, that that's Bruce Arena for me. That's he's such an emotionless guy, right? And these players are coming into this U.S. men's national team with no roles, with no direction, and a coach that don't even know if they're gonna be if he's gonna be there the next time they come together. That's a fair argument. Now, midfield wise, <laughs> young guys. Yeah, yeah midfield wise, these are exciting prospect. I think we're gonna see a lot more younger guys. Uh, we have Kel Nacosta, Tyler Adams, Alejandro Bedoya. Lyndon Gooch, Weston McKinney, Kellen Rowe, Danny Williams. Your um, thoughts? Mid- Dallas midfield. Let's go with the Dallas blood. They should. They might as well just wear Dallas jerseys. F- you know, Dallas FC National Dallas. Team. Not even FC Dallas. It's Dallas National Team. Represent. To DNT like the tollway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, my, I'm really honestly ex- – I feel like they could run a three-back line and have Tyler Adams, who has played outside back – uh, wing back with the Red Bulls as one of the outside backs, but I do think you have to be excited to see Weston McKinney play uh, in the national well, national team. I feel I feel bad for Danny Williams because he's already 28, right? So he's going to be 32. So he's probably looking outside in for the next World Cup. Why is he getting called up? Is this one of those? I feel bad that he never got called up. It's a little too late. Should you? I think he would have been a lot more useful in the World Cup qualifying process. We did talk about that. How we thought. He was a better Acosta. Yes, and Kellen Acosta, he needs to step up because he's been poor of recent. And if if Kellen Acosta wants to go A, to Europe to actually have a good European club to play at in regular playing minutes, this is kind of his moment to shine right now. He's probably one of the more experienced players that are probably going to start. I think Kellen will start because he's still so young. But think about Gold Cup, U.S. Men's National Team qualifying you know, disaster with his name. He needs to, I don't know, he needs to impress, I think, to really solidify his name for the, the next cycle. I think an underrated name from this list right now is I feel like we've all forgotten about Lyndon Gooch. That guy was doing well in the Premier League with Sunderland, left wing, I think, was under David Moyes. Yeah. Yeah, under David Moyes, and then just injury fell off. Now you're a championship. You have no idea, like... It's kind of hard to keep track when using the U21s, but now he's back on a national team fold. I think it'll be interesting to see how he does. I mean, he's I think he's one of the more talented players in in Europe that is American, uh, to, to be quite honest with you. But also, Kellen Rowe, uh, row, row, row your boat. I feel like he is <laughs> – I feel like, honestly, he's one of the more creative players. We saw in the Gold Cup, and then they got he got recalled along with Dom Dwyer, which made no sense, but <laughs> it – it, it 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 but they're performing really well so you called them it's it's some dumb Bruce Arena logic right there but on to the forwards we have Juan Agadello, Dom Dwyer, CJ Sapong, and Josh Sargent. Sargent, are you playing two or one at the top? Are you playing a three-five-two or three-four-three? And I mean, are you doing a three-five-one-one? One? Uh, Here's my question: What does Juan Agadello keep getting called up? I I don't know. I don't know. He's, why not, not, he's not even a good forward. Like, oh, he had that <laughs> failed move to what Stoke was it? Well, and then he, he get loaned. Yeah, well, and then work from his he had to get loaned, and then it didn't work out, so he went back. What's going on? Why does he keep getting called up? I don't get it. I Sapong, I get. Sapong has a great MLS year. Sergeant on the rise. You have to. He's a fantastic player. He's going to go to Werder Bremen. Dwyer, I even understand because he had a good Gold Cup, but no. Dwyer get that though. Dwyer, is he going to be here in four years? Is I said on- I understand why you called up Dwyer, not 
do I love Dom Dwyer, which I mean, I do love no, you Dom do Dwyer. Love Dwyer. That's why I said that. I know you would be disappointed for it. But like, <laughs> at the same time, I mean, it's understandable why you get called up. I don't know. I'm telling you, this game is meaningless. They could win 12-0 against Portugal, and it wouldn't mean anything. It wouldn't. Just wouldn't. Sorry. I mean, good. You're getting them experience. But at the end of the day, this world not qualifying for the World Cup has tarnished everything. This game would mean a hell of a lot more if we had just snuck in and qualified. Then you could have been like, all right, now the old guys suddenly have a lot more pressure you know, they're looking behind, you know, they're turning their shoulder around to see who's behind them because these young guys are coming up and bright. But, nah, the Michael Bradley, Clint Dempsey, out the door. I mean, granted, they're done, but they, they can coast now. Um, do you see a correlation kind of with how the U.S. presidency went and how U.S. soccer is going with right now? What do you mean? Kind of. I just – now I know this is not a political podcast, obviously, but I do feel like – the 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 youth, the younger generation, is upset of what the old guys are doing, and they're it's starting to clash a little bit. I mean, you heard the coach Dave Sarkin say, "I wouldn't have changed a thing. I don't think Bruce Arena's legacy should be tarnished because he only lost one game." What? I feel like that's logic that we would accept. That's logic if, from dum dums. That's logic we'd accept twenty years ago, but and we've been hearing that you know with. Donald Trump always pushing, you know, for, you know, he was pushing a change or something. And, you know, when people started going with that and whatnot, and a lot of people started, uh, you know, following that move. But I feel like the U.S. national team is going through a phase to where if we don't see anything done, people are going to be really upset. You know, And people realize mm. that we're not a top nation anymore. Look at Italy. Mm. Look at Italy right now. They're going through the same exact thing the national team. Chile. The U.S. national team is right Holland. now. Chile. All these, all all these sides, and yet we're saying it's okay. It was good enough. That was good no, enough. No, no, we're no. We're okay with it. But here's the thing: at what point in these World Cup qualifiers did we see a young guy called get called up? A, a 19 or 18 year old who's sitting on the bench. Maybe plug him in when they're winning six nothing against what Trinidad and San Jose. Honduras. 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 Uh. Not once did you see a young guy come on. And and you look at these international friendlies. You watch them. There's always, at some point in the game, if the cl- if the country is not playing a World Cup qualifier or playing a World Cup qualifier against Gibraltar or Liechtenstein, you bet there's a couple of young players on that team that are 19, 18, 20 years old who are getting experience because suddenly you're going to have an injury or suddenly you're going to realize you suck and you just need to change the formation with some youth and that just youth. Well, what's the biggest thing about youth, Armand, is excite, it's excitement and it, it's kind of their ignorance of the game at playing on, the, on this national level where they're going to compete really, really hard and just go full out, right? Some of these older guys kind of coast halfway through the game because, well, we're going to knock the ball around, a couple of passes, we'll take the thir- first 30 minutes easy, and then we'll you know, get into, the, into gear. No, I agree. Uh, the old guard needs, needs to go. Um, we have, we've seen it. We've seen it. That's why people want change with USF presidency. Too bad, as uh, Sebastian Salazar said last episode, we can't all just go on USsoccer.com and vote because nope. Gulati would lose. But – the question is, are we really going to see a change? Steven, I get this feeling we're not going to see a change. No, we're not. I really we're, get this feeling not, that no, the, we're not. 
The change, the thing is, it's the coach that has to change the most. It's not the president. It's not MLS. It's not the academy system. It's the coach and the players he selects. Because if he selects the newer, younger players, then you're going to see a change. You'll see a change in the mentality of people viewing this team. But if you're going to still call up Bradley, Outdoor, Dempsey, Howard, Beasley, uh, Guzan, Gonzalez, what good does that do? And granted, yes, there could be minor changes uh, with MLS. But look at MLS. It's continuing to grow. Look at the academy system. They're trying to change it. We're about to play the interview with Jared Miklas. Listen to how there's a what they're trying to do. And it's, it's, it's working to the degree. You know, and the, the 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 problem is, I feel like we're all like, oh yeah, it's gonna be big change happening, yeah. promotion, relegation, schedule, um, more money, transfer, this, that. No, no, no. I it's, don't it's not like see that. it happening. Like, I really don't no, see it. No, happening. no. And people who are calling for promotion, relegation, got to realize it's not happening either. None of and this. No, quickly, I I, I want to jump on that just real quick. The problem is not. It's 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 not it's not a money thing. We can figure out the money and compensation. We have a hundred million surplus. U.S. The soccer. problem, in my eyes, all my eyes, is infrastructure and popularity of soccer in the United States. It's MLS can barely pull anything. Yep. And you expect USL Division Three to pull like numbers? Come <laughs> on, come on. Oh, good conversation. Follow us, Uncle Sam Soccer Pod, on Twitter. Let us know your thoughts. What's this game mean? Do you agree with me? Meaningless? Do you agree with Armand? Excited to see the young kids. I, I let me I'll, let me reframe it. It's a meaningless game. It's exciting to see the young kids to see you know what they look like in the U.S. men's jersey. Maybe some spectacular happens. But these young kids, they're not developing at the national level. They're developing at their club level, and that's where you want to keep your eye on. Are they getting regular minutes at Schalke or in Major League Soccer or wherever they're going? You know, That's where you want to keep your eye out on. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, uh, we're going to take a quick break here. Coming back is the interview with Mr. Jared McLean. And there's a reason why we're playing it Yes. again. Yes. right now is U.S. Soccer Development Academy Director Jared Miklas. In 2014, he took uh, responsibility for the strategic vision of the academy and establishing program initiatives. He also oversees the program's administrative and business operations. And lastly, he implements all aspects of the program. Thank you so much for joining us here on Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for the invite, gentlemen. So uh, the academy system is... Well, relatively known in the soccer community, but as far as it comes into detail, it's it's still very uh, thin. Uh, do you mind elaborating on the structure of the academy system and how important it is to the development of the game here in the United States? Absolutely. The Development Academy was started in 2007, so we just finished our 10th year uh, here in the month of July, and we still do agree that we see it in its infancy stages in terms of the potential that the program has overall. It was first structured in 2007 
with two combined age groups, U15-16 and U17-18. That was to focus on a group of players that was manageable at the time. And as the academy has grown, both in its number of years and in the, in the scope, the goal has been to increase the influence of the player development initiatives that exist within the academy and kind of the standards that exist that are based around player development. And over time, our goal has been to take it from the older age groups and drive that younger and ultimately drive it into zone one, which is what we call U12 and younger. So for the first time this past year, the academy had U12 programming and now it has a pathway that has gone from U18 all the way to U12 in this coming year we'll have six age groups. And that's been a long-term evolution of combined age groups to single age groups. So we'll start with U12 and have single age groups at U13, U14, and 15 as well. And then we'll have two combined age groups at U17 and U19. So how many youth are part of this program? This past year, we had just under 11,000 players that registered on the boys' side of the academy. We'll add one uh, age group this year, so we'll see a slight influx in the number of boys, so we'll expect that number to be between 11 and 12,000 by the time the year is over, and we're launching a girls' development academy across four age groups, so we'll see an additional 5,600 to 6,000 players that will register there. So when you look at the academy program overall, and we see it as, as one program based on our player development initiatives and our standards, that program will have between 17,000 and 18,000 players this year. Hey, Jared, Armand here. So what is the overall purpose of the academy system in the United States? The academy is a program that's run by the Federation. We have academy clubs that have applied and been accepted to be in the program. These clubs have a goal and an aspiration to develop players in their home markets. The program is the structure that allows them to do so and the competition platform for them and really uh, our federation initiative is to help drive this, this player development initiative forward. And the clubs, in their everyday environment, are actually developing the players. They're the ones that are spending four, or five, six days a week training the players and playing games on the weekend as part of our structure. But it, our goal is to provide them that framework and to support the clubs and impact the clubs, their everyday environment, so that they can develop world-class players. Now, you said it's it's in partnership with the Federation. Now, is the Academy p supposed to develop players for the national team, or is it just to develop players in general? So every player has its own, has his own or her own pathway. So I think there's no one and only specific goal. But if we talk about our, our mission, which is developing a world-class player, that world-class player is going to play for their respective national team, um, you know, wherever that might be around the world. So in our case, yes, it is ultimately for the player that reaches the pinnacle to play for our senior national teams. And as part of the academy program, you have players that are playing for the youth national teams. Currently, when you look at an, uh, a cycle of players in our youth national team from you know, a, a year, we have currently 90% of players on our youth national team rosters that are members of academy clubs. So what we're seeing is that Players are being driven to academy clubs based on the standards and the level. These clubs are doing a great job of, of developing the players. We're supplementing it with our youth national team program and our training center program, which is a talent identification program as well. And the goal is to drive these players together into one environment where they're playing with and against the best players, coached by the best players, and that's really helping them grow. So whatever the end goal is for that player, whether it you know, be, be that they stop at the academy or they play 
uh, you know, post that either professionally or collegiately or eventually internationally, that that's dependent on every player. But ultimately, the end goal would be a player that's come through the system that plays for the national team, like we have, you know, so many that we'll do tonight in our game um, in the Gold Cup. Right, and but is there? From the academy side, is there a emphasis on saying, "Hey, we since you are in the United States, we'd like for you to play for the United States because there is coming funding coming from the federation." I mean, there's a lot of criticism on that, or uh, well, not criticism, but just unclarity on you know, okay, are we developing players for the national team? Or are we developing players just for world class? You know, on that premise. I think that goes back to, to the earlier point that we, we provide the platform that allows the, the player to develop, but ultimately the player and the club in their everyday environment are, are determining what that is. So if you have a, a professional club that has a player in their academy, their ideal goal is probably to develop that player to play for their professional team. Um, that would be a, a, a normal pathway for any player around the world in a, in a youth academy system that's connected to a pro team. So when, if you're talking about you know players in, in different countries, and obviously um, you know, we're, with it being a, a domestic-based program, a large majority of the players in the program are, are obviously going to be eligible for the U.S. team. It gets into a much larger discussion if you're talking about um, what factors that, that might exist for a player that's able to play internationally, and, and that just depends on the player's heritage and, and residency and et cetera. But there's a lot of FIFA uh, and ITC rules that dictate where players can play determining, uh, you know, based on their nationality. So, Jared, currently, in your opinion, what are the biggest issues facing youth soccer right now? We, you know, we look at the, the landscape overall. You know, you're talking about over 4 million players that, you know, exist in this country. And that, that number might be, be larger than that, but 4 million plus from, from registered players from, from what we know at this point. You, you know, that's a, that's a different challenge than maybe the 20,000 players that will play in the academy this year. There might be some that exists when you look at geography and travel and the size and scope of the country, um, that, that obviously becomes one challenge. Um, having the, the sport and the program exist over a long period of time that, that exists in other countries, that has a real benefit because you have coaches and players that have played uh, the sport their whole life growing up. So right now we, I think we're, we're faced with this challenge across the entire landscape of developing better coaches. We think better coaches will develop better players. So it's a major initiative of the Federation to uh, continue to enhance our licensing program and create more opportunities. So when you look at something on the scope that we are and, and, and the amount of years that people have, have been you know, really investing um, from a financial standpoint in the youth game, it's not uh, you know, something that's, that's on the forefront of development like it is in other areas of the world. So I think we've got a couple factors uh, logistically that, that make it difficult. Uh, and then you have a lot of opportunity in this country. There's a lot of sports. There's a lot of um, choices for, for children when they're growing up. So that's another dynamic of, of how many players you actually have playing the sport as well. So let's narrow it down a little bit. What about academy-wise? What are the issues going on in the, on the academy level? I think right now we're looking at trying to uh, improve the overall level. The, the, the more we can bring up uh, the entire group, the better players that we have playing with, with better players, then that's probably going to be as fast as the system rises. Right now we have a real challenge with um, you know, players being able to be in an everyday environment that's professionalized and the challenges that exist either with school and travel and, and, and distance that some have, you know, depending on where someone lives. 
But if you really want to look at what's going to develop a player, it's that consistent everyday environment where you've got everyday training and facilities that allow that to happen, that fit within a, a player's schedule that doesn't have long travel distances, both for travel and for, uh, I mean, sorry, both for training and for games. So that becomes a real logistic. Uh, I think staffing uh, of clubs, you know, it's not like there's a full-time athletic trainer and a full-time sports psychologist and, right, a, right. and, you know, all the support staff that goes along with it, that really helps a, a player develop on and off the field. So looking at what a professional environment looks like, it's, it's lacking in terms of, of facilities and staffing and support in those levels. And then just the quality overall of, of the, the amount of coaches of where we're at and, and the amount of coaches that we'd like all the players to be able to have, head coaches and assistant coaches that have, you know, gone through the licensing pathway and that have experience coaching that can provide uh, education and instruction to these players, that's still, you know, that's still developing. And I think it's at a level where we could increase it and improve it over time. Do you feel personally that you take a lot of responsibility for the development of the youth I think we as a federation certainly have a, a, a you know a large part in in what's happening. We're we're trying to drive standards that we believe are based on best practices around the world for players to develop. So when you say personally in in terms of the program and our staff and everyone that has invested so much time and energy into this, we yeah we we do take it personally that this is a, a goal and initiative of the federation of what we do every day. So we think that we can. And, Again, provide that platform that's going to allow it to to improve and to see if we can improve it at the fastest rate that we can and accelerate that that timeline. How has the academy system changed since you've taken over? Uh, it's been three years since I've been in the role as the director. I started off as a coach in the academy in the first um, two years of the program, so it's been great to have the perspective of the academy and to watch it evolve over time. I think every year it gets better. Every year. We have a, a number of people that are looking at it from an analysis standpoint, whether that be through our technical group, our technical advisors that are supporting the clubs and actually watching games week in, week out, our scouting network, our youth national team coaches that are directly tied into the program, our director of talent identification. You know, there's a number of people that are, are watching these games. And what we're doing and, and what's happened uh, even more so in the last three years is we're trying to take all of this analysis, the data that we get from, you know, from video review uh, and et cetera, to determine what it is that we need to prioritize as next steps. So in the last three years, I think you've seen a, a couple new initiatives, which has been to drive into zone one, so the, the establishment of a U12 program. We also split the U13 and 14 age groups to be single age because we felt that the, the development and maturation of uh, youth male players during that you know 12 to 14 range was very wide ranging. So we wanted to, to help you know, combat relative age effect uh, and help bring an awareness to the fact that players are developing at different times at different ages. So having 12, 13, and 14, and now adding this year 15 single age, it's another big change. So the program's grown from 5,000 to, to 11,000 players in the last three years. And then most recently, the, the launch of a girls' academy based on 10 years of experience on the boys' side, We've, we believe it's the right time. And... Um, you know, we have the, the expertise and the knowledge. We're hiring staff uh, specifically on the girls' side to launch this program. So in the last three years, you've seen, you know, a program in terms of uh, numbers almost triple and the initiatives that we've done in, in terms of supporting it and all the other aspects of, of analysis that I talked about that are, are really continuing to, to improve and increase, which has is, is given us greater insight into what we do next and, and how we, we structure the program to make it better every year. Absolutely. 
But an issue of the academy program has been at least talked about in the media, especially by Tara Twelman, is the pay-to-play system. How is the academy addressing that pay-to-play uh, issue that's been going on recently? That's a great question and one that I didn't mention as a, as a restraint uh, earlier. And I think that depending on um, the club and the location, obviously the individual is playing, that, that that is another challenge. It's something that making it cost-free, it, it's not going to change next year or the year after that. But having an awareness to the fact that uh, financially uh, that can be a barrier for players to pay, uh, players to play. So reducing that is extremely important to us. We supplement academy uh, investment with a scholarship program that's available to any player that's part of the academy. They can apply for it at the beginning of the year, and we send that money to help uh, supplement clubs with their you know cost of travel and, and, and training. So that's a, a program that we've invested over $400,000 in uh, you know year after year. We'll continue to do that. We'll look to increase it through some gifts that we're receiving. We're actively um, fundraising for money for scholarships that we can, you know, turn around and, and put right back into players. In addition to that, we've encouraged clubs to bring down the cost for, for players within their club and specifically with these academy players who have to travel. So we've seen, uh, a, you know, an increased effort by clubs. We have over 20 clubs that are cost-free uh, for the full pathway of, uh, out of the 73 clubs that we had this past year. So that's obviously a start. The Professional clubs are driving this in terms of not only their funding for this, but the additional resources they're offering, some of them with school-based programs or residencies. So that, that's been a real positive. And when we looked at the average cost of a player over the last year, um, every single division had uh, made some improvement on the average cost per player from the year prior. And I think the average um, you know, was over $500 in terms of the reduction in cost per player across, across the division. So we're, we're seeing clubs have an awareness to it, and make efforts to improve it. Awesome. Finally here, where, where do you see the Academy going in the next 10 years under your uh, direction? It's a good question and one that we're talking about every day. And, you know, sometimes you can see a month ahead and, and you try to look 10 years ahead because you, you want to be able to, to plan for that. I think it's hard to say exactly where it's going to be. Um, we've got an incredible team of committed people here that I get to work with every day, not only in the academy, but, but outside of it in our, all of our sport development units. So what we've seen is a, is a real commitment from, you know, different groups that support the academy, from youth national teams, from high performance, from talent ID, um, coaching education referees. We look at it as one single focus of sport development, of developing players, coaches, and referees. And where I see it going is, is more of an integration between these departments the academy setting uh, the standard and the model, uh, similar to, to things like player development initiatives for Zone 1, that we're setting that standard for, for Zone 2 for players that are between 12 and, and 19 years of age. And hopefully that this becomes a model that's good for, for all players that are on a pathway to, to continue to develop in Zone 2, and that this academy model can be uh, replicated in, in other leagues and other programs around the country and uh, you know, through different member organizations to, to have a pathway for every player who aspires to develop for them to be able to do that on whatever level that is. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jared. I know you're a busy guy, and I just want to thank you so much for taking the time out of the day to join us on the podcast today. You're welcome, guys. Thanks for your attention to the, to the youth program, and good luck with the podcast. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Well, there you have it. What a great show. Oh, what a what an interesting. I know we made some haters out there. 
I'm glad. <laughs> Let us know. Promotion relegation. What do you know? Let us know what you think. Um, Armand, you can follow him at Armand Caffey. 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 I like to say Caffey. That's what Siri says. That's what Siri says. Jodorand. Armand Caffey. Calling Armand Caffey. That's what Siri says. That's cool, man. All right. Follow Armand Caffey, Steven Jodorand, Unc Sam Soccer Pod. You won't regret it. We'll be back next week with the preview of the conference finals and a recap of the most meaningless game of the week, U.S. men's national team. See ya. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what, man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Right now, you can get both Sprint's unlimited plan and the all-new Samsung Galaxy S10 included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and 24-month installment billing. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone $15 a month after $22.50 a month credit. Apply within two bills of cancel early remaining amounts due. Unlimited basic after six thirty twenty. Pay $32 per month per line for five lines with auto pay. Data deprioritization during congestion. Speed maximums. Use rules and restrictions apply. 